Hey, welcome to episode four of the Sunfire Tavern podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Sunfire Tavern and Instagram at Sunfire Tavern, both the same. Uh, today we have a uh, a very special guest with us, uh, a friend of or well, a friend, an ex colleague of ours, uh, Ellie. Uh, hi, Ellie. Hi. Hi. Uh, thanks for joining us today. We've also got Ollie as well. Hi, Ollie. Hey, it's me. And uh, this week we're going to be talking about, uh, as Ellie is a, um, I want to say graphic designer, but maybe that's not exactly how you would define yourself. Uh, not at all. I'm a technical no. artist, technical which artist. has very little to do with graphic design at all. <laughs> so she's not a graphic designer. She's a technical artist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. In my head, I just see that as as like like graphic design. She designs graphics, but no, she doesn't um, at all. I'm being extremely presumptuous here. But anyway, uh, technical designer. Technical artist. <laughs> <laughs> no, joking. Technical uh, artist. Can I give a little bit of an overview about what I do? Sure. Yes, please. Sure. So technical art is basically the bridge between uh, people who write code for games, developers, and artists who make art for games. Artists. So um, basically, I do kind of technical things to help art get made and also optimize it for the game so that it runs better and looks better. So this can cover stuff like uh, making shaders and graphics and effects for a game. Uh, sometimes rigging is uh, technical art, um, but also like tooling so that artists can make art easier and better so they can spend more time doing art and less time like renaming a hundred files or whatever and also like laying down pipelines and processes and things like naming conventions basically just so the process of making art is easier and better for everyone that's super cool i i my job sounds super boring now um <laughs> but so this it week sounds cool it that's does sound the, cool. And, well, having worked alongside you as well, like I saw some of the, some of your output, and it was incredible. It was always really amazing because my output is usually just boring campaigns. So, um, but you know, comparatively, it's 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 pretty awesome. Um, and this week on the uh, on the Sunfire Tavern, we're going to be discussing art style in games, uh, character design, gender representation in gaming, uh, gatekeeping and toxicity, the difference between casual and hardcore uh, audiences, and then if we get time, we're going to move on to the Discord rebranding where they've now. Uh, rebranded away from gaming so if we can get through all those topics in an hour i'll be impressed uh and to start with we'll uh i guess we'll move on to art styling games um so to get the ball rolling a little bit um as you know like every game that comes out has its own unique style its own unique um like presentation there's things like uh, one thing that we've talked about quite often is ori in the blind forest where it has this amazing standout like hand-drawn style and what i wanted to ask you guys um starting with ellie um is can you think of a game that you've played that has an art style that has really really impacted on you like like you found really amazing yeah definitely so um my go-to game for discussing like standout art style in games is always Okami. Uh, it's a game with like an amazing uh, traditional Japanese art style theme. So everything looks like it's hand painted and always moving with like flowing brush strokes. And it also impacts into the gameplay of the game where mechanically you have a brush you can use to do stuff in the world. And like the themes and everything that tie together are so good. It makes me so happy to look at and to play. And it's like, it's so unique as well. Like, it's just a standout for me when it comes to thinking about art and games. So I'm, I'm digging through my memory here. It's the one with the wolf, isn't it, on PS2? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, beautiful and originally game. originally on PS2, but it's had ports to Wii. Mm. And there's a DS game, which is a spin-off called... Uh, it's Okami Den? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, I guess that's a really good uh, a good starting point. Um, yeah, yeah never uh, had a, never had a chance to play Okami, but it always seems super cool. Like my experience with Okami is through um, seeing the character through uh, Marvel vs. Capcom three, and mm -hmm. they had some of the flashiest <laughs> like move sets and animations and like uh, art styles and stuff. It was always super cool to see. But yeah, definitely uh, yeah. one to check Actually, out for the art style. There is a Switch port as well, which I just remembered about because I bought it desperately wanting to replay it, but I'm. I'm a sucker for buying games intending to replay them and never getting around to it. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I, I, think I have it on the Switch, but it's the same as when I had it on the PS2. I, I just never played it. It just it's entered so the backlog. <laughs> it is very, very worth it. It is like, it's a chunky 40-ish hour game, so it takes a while to get through. And actually, every time you think it's ending, like, there's more. Oh. Which is, like, <laughs> it's just an epic, sprawling story, and it's very, very satisfying to progress through. You see, I sort of found there was a game I played recently where I've, I found the same thing. Like, you thought you were getting to the ending constantly, and then you were like, oh, there's another million tons of game. The Final Fantasy VII Remake is what it was. You kept mm. thinking that you I were getting to the end of it, and then you're just like, oh, there's more, there's more, there's more. 
I was just thinking that sounds like Final Fantasy. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Yeah. Like, there are games where you don't want them to end and they're being more as a treat, and there are games where you kind of get bored and you want it to end now. I was well, thinking yeah. uh, Xenoblade 2 is a, also an interesting game in terms of art style. <laughs> uh, <laughs> some, uh, interesting decisions with the character design there, but we can get onto that later. Mm. Um, I mean, talking about Xenoblade, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because that kind of connects a lot of the topics we've got to talk about today, because um, I played Xenoblade 2, and I really, really enjoyed it until, um, uh, I can't remember the name of the character now, the little round, fluffy thing with the big ears. Oh my god, Tora. Yeah, um, possibly Tora, the, the, it, but he's uh, just a pervert. Just yes. Yeah. And the game felt great until that got pushed in my face, because that, that's when I started to notice that the camera angles tended to... Uh, settle a lot on. I think her name's Pyra, the the fiery yeah. lady. Yeah, it tended yep. to f- focus a lot more on her, like uh, her breasts and assets. her. Yeah, no, yeah, thank <laughs> you. I was trying to say that in the nicest way possible, but yes, her assets. Yes. Um, and there were some points where, like, you were watching a scene and like it was this beautiful scenery in the background, but for some reason the camera was like forty percent her backside, and you think, why is the camera here? Like, and, and it really irritated me that I was enjoying that game up until the point where that started to happen. And I, I don't know, Ellie, if, if you've seen that in games, uh, you probably have. Specifically, having played Xenoblade, you, you probably noticed it as well. Like, How do you find that that, that kind of representation in gaming? <laughs> uh, calling it representation is a bit strong, I think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, it's, it's definitely a trope. I, it's actually one that exists in Okami as well. Uh, it's because it's a very prevalent trope within uh, like anime a lot, yep. and mm. I think uh, there's a slightly different um, approach to sexuality in Japan than there is the, to what we used to in the West. But uh, yeah, there are definitely jokes in Okami which are a bit like that, and like you have this uh, little painter bug guy who joins along with you called Isen, and he's also definitely a pervert, and it's <laughs> just kind of played for laughs, mm. and it it is uncomfortable like you kind of can get along with it because everything else is so good but it's it's uh it's not the best feeling no it, it sort of pulled me away from the game i don't know uh ollie if you've seen anything like this in game i mean i know you're a big smash oh. brothers fan so you've definitely seen the 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 bayonetta side of things but um... yeah I, I mean it's it's massively prevalent in like jrpgs or like japanese games right like um even in you know in games like persona like persona 4 persona 5 like they always allude to this kind of thing or it's kind of like a, a, a sort of like talking point generally it's like less it, it's less uh it's less as bad as some of some other like JRPGs have played, but you know it's definitely there, and it's a it's it's also kind of weird when you start noticing it and you can't really stop noticing it, and then also when you sort of you know put it around the fact that these are supposed to be like teenagers and like you know like all yeah. like young adults, it's a bit like okay, you know, just chill out it, for it, a bit, <laughs> like calm down. Like. It tends to stack quite a bit. And there was a game I played, um, Bravely Default. And I loved that game. Like it, it was exactly what I wanted from Square Enix at the time. Um, like it was the turn-based strategy, or turn-based RPG. Um, and the first like three towns were amazing. And then suddenly you get to this town where it's all about. Uh, it gets creepy to a level that I'm not even comfortable really explaining. Like, and it immediately dissuaded me from the game. So I was like, this is just weird. Like it yeah. doesn't feel comfortable, and I've noticed a similar thing in Octopath Traveler, uh, definitely in Xenoblade, um, and I just find it frustrating when you get to those points in the games, and and I guess it's it's kind of a circular discussion that goes from uh, how the game is designed to the character design as well, because mm. you've got things like um, I think one that we talked about recently was Tomb Raider, about how originally she was quite sexualized, and then yes. now she's kind of come into this more powerful role. You know where she's pretty strong. I don't know if Ellie, if you want to speak on this a bit more, because I'm probably not the best person to be talking on this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. obviously you you two have eyes and you're allowed to have an opinion and your own observations. Mm. But yeah, like the evolution of Tomb Raider is pretty interesting. Like I don't know the precise history, but behind it, but I would assume that historically, game studios and the the intended audience for a lot of games was basically very heavily male. And so they would cater towards what they would expect the average man to enjoy. Uh, And, you know, possibly as things have progressed, more and more women are into gaming. Like, Mm. possibly... I I don't actually have the stats. I feel like I've read stats that, like, actually more women play games. They definitely do now. That's definitely a thing. Mm. Yeah. Yep. 
I mean, like, but like even more than men, maybe. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm assuming that perhaps their studio staff got more diverse, or they realized that their audience is more diverse, and so they've made Lara Croft a character that is more relatable for everyone. Yeah, she's not just a, an yeah. object now. She's you know she's got a mm. point. She has a history. She's but then again, if if you think yeah. back to the PlayStation version of her, she still had the, quite a rich backstory. Um, mm. She was just very much there because she was trying to sell the game. Is what is what they were trying to put her in in front of. Yeah, um, she's very like male gazy, right? Yes, you know, like yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, so like the, the, I, I do feel that um, the the way game is gaming is moving now, it's it's very much in a positive direction. Um, in that we're tr- starting to see like um, like Assassin's Creed is a really good example where you've got Cassandra or um, I can't remember his name um, the, the the main character but it, it's some Greek name but you can either pick between the male or the female character their brother and sister and both of them have quite deep storylines which is really cool um, and it's just nice to see those moving forwards and and I think there was a really good example a few years back where um, they put uh, women as as playable characters in Battlefield. And the internet immediately exploded, saying there were women in the war, and it's like um, yeah. there were, <laughs> yes, mm. there were. Mm. Uh, but it just—I don't know—you can go deep down that rabbit hole, or you can just accept that it's 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 a place that was kind of a crappy place on the internet, but now it's kind of getting a little bit better. And I, I, I hope I, it's getting better. That's just from how I see it. Um, yeah, I I think it's definitely getting better because you know you're seeing AAA studios trying to introduce you know more female lead roles into video games and also in terms of like body shape representation and stuff like that as well like for example like the last of us 2 um you know you look at the two main characters ellie and abby and they're quite different in terms of like their their body shape you know abby is quite muscular and like maybe more masculine i don't know how you'd want to phrase that but i think it's really cool like definitely you know to see that these kinds of different characters being represented and this gives like a more uh, definitely like a more realistic feel as well like i think it's great yeah. Mm. Cause like going back to character design, like historically, and like this still kind of persists, but like male characters can be any shape. Mm. Uh, female characters have to prescribe to the same kind of thing, but maybe like with some caddies. Yeah, yeah. Like historically, <laughs> much, if you yeah. look at like fantasy races, you can play in most MMOs. Uh, like the male and female variations are very like striking yeah it always make me laugh how uh so it always used to make me laugh how in like mmos a male character would pick up a piece of armor and head to toe skin to skin would be completely covered but the same piece of armor on the woman would be like like very skimpy and mm-hmm. they would both have the same armor stats and stuff and you think well how is she being protected that doesn't make sense uh, and i'm just glad that we've moved the, moved forward from that now and that the the industry is starting to uh, accept that you know women and men play games like we all want to play games together we just want to enjoy the games for what they are like we don't want to get kind of rolled into this constant debate about which developer was thirsty at the time or whatever like because you know (laughs) we just want to enjoy games um yeah but i I, I, carry on sorry don't let me interrupt i'm I'm like cool with skimpy fantasy armor choices that are purely aesthetic as long as you have a choice and that's not your only option. And as long as you make it available to dudes too. Like, if the yeah. only av- option available to dudes is, like, chunky plate armor that doesn't look very nice, and the only option available to women is, like, chainmail bikinis that are cute, but, you know, not much else. Like, mm. you know, make everyone available to show as much or as little skin as they want. You see, I'm glad you said that, because there's a character in Xenoblade, um, a male character, I think it's Ryan. The, 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 the He's like... Is it Ryan? They're the, the, like the warrior character that assists your character at the start of the game and comes with you on your adventure if you played Xenoblade 1. The, the idiot. Oh, the, the I, idiot. I the warrior idiot. Well, he's kind of <clears throat> hunky. And I was I was playing that game and I was like, so I can put the woman in the bikini. Hang on, I can put the man in short. Yeah, here we go. Okay, I'm in. Like, it, 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 because it's the first time in a while I've actually been able to, like, I mean, not for my own thirst. It just I just noticed it as I was dressing the characters <laughs> that the options available to the female characters were also available to the male, which is odd considering Xenoblade comes out of this kind of pervy developer world. Um, mm. That option is there. And I, I thought that was kind of good. That felt quite progressive to me. Mm. Um, but I, I guess moving away from the, the discussion of um, like gender representation, and we could co- sort of go back to character design a little bit. Um, I don't know, Ellie, if you could tell us a little bit more about how you look at character design and how you, um, say, for example, if you were to be creating your own game, 
like how would you go about um, putting together the the kind of the docket to to design a character for a, for a, a game? Cool, that is it's a big a, question. Yeah, that's a very a big uh, and very exciting question. I I'm more of when it comes to like actual art, I'm more of like a hobbyist enthusiast than like someone who knows precisely what they're doing. But I picked up some things by working with artists and like. Uh, character design is fascinating because there's so many aspects to it. So you've got to consider like what what like tone and theme of your game is there. Like what is your general art style, and then how do you make characters that feel like they live in that world, and how, how do you distinguish your characters so that they all look cohesive as a set, but each have their own like flair and personality, and like uh, things like thinking about their silhouettes. Uh, so actually, one of the first like character design things I remember reading was about Phoenix Wright, which is a game I very dearly love. <laughs> and like how the character designer for, for Phoenix Wright and Ace Attorney series would always like look at the silhouettes and make sure that they were distinctive, which kind of explains why Phoenix has the hair that he does. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, other choices that they made. And so, yeah, like, and what you can do is shape language and kind of, you know, if you make a character that's primarily based off like triangles, they'll look very different to one that's based off ovals. Or if you make one that's very like top heavy, they'll have a completely different silhouette and feel to one that's very bottom heavy. Um, so you can use all these things to make your characters unique and stand out. You said and, like, this, this is something I never realized about character design. And uh, I, I actually got to um, attend an Overwatch character design panel many many years ago and the, the weirdest thing they showed me was that because because people were demanding skins they were like we want skins and we want hundreds and thousands of them and one of the character designers said that the biggest problem that we face is that we have to make sure that the silhouette always makes sense so mm. if you put a character in one skin and they're in the distance and then in another skin they don't look like that character like you can't recognize them it affects the gameplay yeah. and i'd never mm -hmm. thought to think of things from from that respect like i didn't realize that a character dressed as dracula and then that same character dressed as like i don't know a plant monster or something could actually look like two different characters it, it just didn't go into my head because yeah. i was just like well these, these skins look cool these are amazing um, but yeah. it's it's always interesting to talk to people that are cl more closely related to that to understand the the kind of the process. Yeah, because when you have a game like Overwatch where it's very like character skill based, you need to know what the your opponents are likely to do and therefore how you can counter it. I've actually been picking up League of Legends recently, and it's been really interesting that they actually don't seem to do that at all. Like yep. each of the champions, of which there are so many, uh, can have like a handful of different skins that actually do make them look like completely different people uh and like you know you have the like loading screen before you play a game that flashes up like okay these are the champions you're playing against and stuff and they all use the same like little headshot portrait picture for the minimap and stuff so you can kind of at least identify your teammates or whoever you can see visibly a little bit but like yeah it's mm. it was a very interesting choice to me when it is so like you need to know who you're playing against because you need to know what they do and how they're going to affect you and then to just kind of rip that up and be like yeah but they can look like whatever it's cool yeah so I, I found <laughs> that with it, it, there was a character called Sona. sorry go ahead oh sorry uh it definitely leads into like gameplay changes as well especially in league of legends um from my recent escapades there's definitely been cases where i feel like certain skins because they don't just change what the character looks like they change what the abilities and the projectiles look like so there's a lot of problems where it becomes like the projectile changes and visually, even though the hit, you know, the hit in, in the code, the hitbox is the same, but visually the projectile looks smaller. So it leads to a lot of pr problems where it like looks like you might have sidestepped something or something's going to like miss or whiff. And then you just suddenly like essentially get hit by like an invisible wall and you die. And it's like, <laughs> it's really frustrating obviously as a player to experience that, right? But then that's i guess the skin so you know you see some people on reddit arguing like oh certain skins give like competitive advantages and stuff like that and it's really strange like it's, a, it's such a weird problem well, yeah that, that was a that was a conversation that started with hanzo um for, for myself yeah. um when hanzo fires an arrow there was this whole idea that he was firing tree trunks because while the arrows are tiny the hitbox on the arrows uh, often felt really wide and there was like two or yes. three skins where he had slightly bigger arrows and it mm. felt like using those skins gave you an advantage on how... If someone was using those skins, you could dodge them easier. Yeah. So, yeah, I, mm. I totally get that. Like, that that concept is... Uh, it's 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 bonkers. Like, I, you, yeah. I never think about this kind of stuff. I'm probably never going to be, like, a, a character designer in gaming, so it's not something I would need to worry <laughs> about. But as as someone who aspires to be a producer, I probably need to think about that. 
Right? It's mm. something that needs to keep in mind. Um, yeah, that it's a really good point that like like art style and design does actually influence gameplay. It's not mm. just visuals. Yeah, yeah. It, it's um, there's a really good talk. Um, there's a GDT talk done by the Skullgirls team. Uh, is done by one of their lead animators where they discuss like. You know, your animate like you should be when you're, especially in fighting games where frame like frame count is very important. Uh, frames mm. being like each individual image, like if you think of an animation as like a series of images of where a character's moving, um, you know, where the des the artists have to work with the designers and the designers would be like, okay, you have 14 frames in which to visualize someone punching, essentially, right? So as an artist, you have to work with these but with these design budgets of like, you know, how do I, you know clearly represent someone punching or someone kicking in this certain amount of time and i think that's a really interesting problem that kind of gets overlooked when it comes to like yeah the the whole discussion between like art combining with design uh but yeah it's a really interesting problem um yeah well we're talking about like interesting talks and stuff uh there's a mm. channel called new frame plus uh oh, yeah. a guy called dan floyd um mm. who does a bunch of really interesting game animation breakdowns and the ones that he's done on Smash in particular mm. are very, very interesting because the animations have to be super quick because it's a fighting game. They also have to be incredibly readable at every stage. So mm. you can always look at a character and at any given point know what they're doing. So they have like the pose design that goes into making sure that every point in a character animation you can tell what they're doing is amazing. And like playing the game you're never gonna actually realize you just kind of it just kind of subconsciously goes into you that oh yeah that's what's happening yeah but it's like way too fast to see but you slow it down and you're like oh yeah yeah it's such a great video it's such a good, the good thing breakdown is you, of that stuff you can look into that stuff and it, there's just so much information on it and it, it, it goes so deep as well like listen, listening to people talk about their craft is always super interesting especially when it comes to something that i'm like super interested in myself which is gaming um mm. so listening to like designers and artists and stuff tell you how the um i don't know i'm trying to think of a, i can't think of any characters in gaming now how lara croft became lara croft like <laughs> mm. why her elbows are the way they are why her knees point in that way and and all those kind of decisions where there's been like possibly a boardroom meeting meeting behind all of these things yeah. to kind of sell each part of those characters and it it, it fascinates me like i, I yeah. find it amazing because you don't really see that from, I guess, from the player's point of view. You just get the the delivery. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, um, I mean, the next point that we've got is uh, gatekeeping and toxicity. Uh, and toxicity is something I know a lot about, but gatekeeping is something that I'm kind of new to. I had to actually ask Ollie to explain this to me a little bit because I wasn't too sure about it. Um, and now I understand it. It's something that I understand is quite prevalent in gaming. Uh, yes. And Ellie, like, I, I would assume you're familiar with the concept. Yeah, I mean, yes. <laughs> uh, as I mentioned, I've been picking up League of Legends recently, uh, a community which is famous for its to toxicity. And, you know, I'm, I'm very new, so I'm not very good. And I'm trying to learn and get better. But, like, uh, I've still, you know, despite not having played that many games, I've still had a fair few in which someone has told me, you're brain dead, go AFK please, just quit the game, never play this character again, you're not good at it, just leave. Mm. Uh, which is not the most encouraging attitude when you are trying to learn a new skill. Uh, you know, but uh, you can kind of hand wave it and say that like League is an old community and like they kind of don't, they expect everyone to know what they're doing, but like, <laughs> that, that's so silly. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do not get the mentality of getting so angry, especially when you're playing in modes which new players can play in. Like and quick match see... and, and like non-ranked modes and that kind of thing. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. You can't play ranked until you're level 30 on your account. So, And you can see everyone's like account levels before you play the game if you want to look at them. And so like if, you, if you're playing with a level 3 and they don't know what they're doing, maybe consider that they don't know what they're doing, not that they're just <laughs> bad. Yeah. And even if they are just bad, like you can give them tips on how to be better uh, it, without being mean about it. It tends to feel a lot more rewarding as well. Like when, so when you come across a new player in a game, you can either be this. Um, I mean, I'm going to say asshole because you can be an asshole about it and tell them that they're terrible, they're they're crap, blah 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 blah, or you can take them under your wing and be like. Okay, let me show you how to do this. So th there's yeah. a really good example I have here, and it was when I played Final Fantasy XI. Um, and this is many, many years ago. So this is back when I was in university. So I want to say 
I'm going to say about 17 years ago, uh, which really makes me feel super old. Um, and I, I was kind of wandering around in the in the, the first city, and I'd never really played an MMO before, so this was all new to me. The whole concept was new. And uh, I noticed that the... Uh, I didn't realize at the time, but these NPCs were talking, so like little speech bubbles were popping up and little bits of text were popping up. So I started to ask them for help, and they were obviously ignoring me because they're NPCs. Um, and I started to get annoyed that they were just ignoring And I was like, oh, these are probably high-level players that are treating me like a noob and blah, blah, blah. And this guy, and I remember his name. It's weird that I remember this, but his name was Shinokarosha. And he came up to me and he was like, you do realize you're talking to NPCs, don't you? And I was like, I don't know what an NPC is, so can you explain that to me? And he explained the concept. And then he saw, obviously, I was this extremely new, very, um, like very un... I can't even think of the word now, but just not uh, not understood of, of how the game's mechanics worked. And he mm. took me under his wing and he started mm. to like, like he, he took me out into the world and, and showed me how to level up and stuff and then left me for a bit. And I started to message him and I was like, what are you up to? And he said, I'm fighting gods. And I was like, okay, <laughs> cool. Can I fight gods? And he's like, no, not for like 400 levels or whatever it was, 75 levels because yeah. that was the level cap. And I said, oh, but can you take me up there so I can see the gods? And he was like, no. And I, I always remember... Every time I spoke to him, he was in uh, Sky, and it was like it was marked as the Gardens of Rumet or something. It was, and all the places mm. I was in was like trash desert and <laughs> the beach. <laughs> I was in all these boring places, and and his attitude towards helping me learn the very basics and then leaving me to kind of learn more really encouraged me to push through that game. It, it actually caused me mm. to get super addicted and play it for years, but that's another story. And it was just super cool that that guy's like single impact on my gameplay gave me this amazing experience and ever since then i've always been super careful with how i approach new players because i think i might have that same impact on someone else yeah definitely like yeah. like i would way rather be that guy than someone who's just like no leave die yeah <laughs> exactly right yeah it, it i guess like from a league of legends perspective it's like less mental energy to basically just say to someone fuck off than it is to like kind of help them which doesn't rationalize or make it any better that you should do that, but it's kind of like I've been going through this experience with playing League of Legends in solo queue, as I've been saying in previous episodes. But I'm kind of trying to like find ways to like rationalize why people are such dicks on the internet. <laughs> essentially, like trying to understand like what do you gain out of this, or you know like what what why do you have to be this way rather than just be, you know if, you could, you could choose to say nothing. You know you're making an active decision to be toxic and say these things, right? And I don't know, it's, it's, it's such a, you know, mind boggler for me because I don't know, for me personally, when I, I, I love seeing people like learn and like get better at games. Like one of the more, more wholesome stories I have from this, like when I used to play competitive smash, like uh, a number of years ago was, yeah, you know, being that player where coming into a new world and having you know, this lovely, like in-person community, basically, you know, like teach me about the game and like fighting game concepts and stuff like that and you know sort of mentor me through and then me being able to years down the line you know pass on that wisdom to newer players who are joining the scene and instead of just being like gatekeeping and there were definitely people in the community who were like gatekeeping basically being like oh well if you didn't play smash before like 2016 then you're a huge noob and you should leave the community <laughs> and no one wants you i've only like, ever heard that the smash community is awful <laughs> there's there's like there's a lot of especially right now it's a really hot topic right now um in terms of what's going on in the Smash oh yeah community. because but, of all the drama that's happening yeah, yeah yeah it's it's really awful i won't go too much into detail on that but um you know there's 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 a lot of awfulness especially in fighting game communities where there is especially a lot of gatekeeping like basically you know there's this concept of basically uh i think my friends used to call it heels where there were these players who were essentially like you know the the old the old guard like they've been there for years and years and they didn't really want new people coming into their community they kind of went like oh i just want to play with my friends and only play against people who are like this good because it's not worth my time to play and teach newer players and see where the game can go right which was i think is a horrible mindset you know i used to have i remember specifically I, I played a match it was a doubles match versus some uh some other people and i was playing against two of these people who were considered the old guard essentially and they came down and basically just like took the piss out of us they destroyed us obviously because they've been playing the game for ages but they kind of like, took the piss out of us the whole time as well kind of being like oh look fundamentals look oh look you can try and you're trying out all your gimmicky strategies and we're beating you with, with like really basic things i'm like well i i don't know what you're even saying why are you being so rude about it <laughs> you know like so ah uh, the gatekeepers yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they were literally gatekeepers, right? Yep. You know, like so. Um, 
but yeah, that's not to say that you know there were people in the Smash community where there were people who were actively helping others, you know, improve. And you know, you would have lab labbing sessions, and you know, go to someone's house and play for hours, and then you just like discuss strategies in the game, and or people teach you all the specific strategies and like techniques, and be like, it was such a cool learning experience, right? And it was like really cool imparting that knowledge onto other people and seeing them go like, oh wow, that's super cool as well, right? Like, I think that's such a wholesome experience. I don't really understand why other people don't want that to happen i guess i guess maybe it feels like they're losing some of their exclusivity uh, in a way you know when when they impart this wisdom but i don't know you know i think maybe it's definitely like a feeling of defensiveness and i guess in mm. league like if it's if that's like your hobby and it's something you take seriously then you want to win and if you have to deal with new players well they're going to damage your chances of winning mm. and you know maybe you only want to play with people who are good and that means people that already know what they're doing and yeah, yeah. so I, I get that it's like stressful but i i just i don't get being mean about it because for me if i have something i like i want to share it and help other people. Also, just for a sec, if we can loop back around to the word drama, I have like a personal really big dislike of using the word drama to uh, apply to like legitimate and important yeah, valid discussion. Yeah. That's fair. I feel like that's drama fair. trivializes it. No, no, that's uh, very yeah, fair. It's definitely not trivial in any way. To, like, it's to, to, speak allegations on, to speak on that point, that's something that um, in the last, I want to say, 10 years of my life, um, has been a learning experience for me. So um, I, I class myself, I mean, I'm, I'm an older gamer, like I'm in my late 30s, or I say mid 30s, mid to late 30s. Um, and I grew up in a kind of a different era to a lot of people that I work with now and a lot of people I interact with. And I'm aware that like my language um, probably hasn't evolved well. I also lived in a bubble for 10 years because I lived in France for 10 years and, and was very disconnected from the way that the world has moved forward. And, and initially I was quite angry at the fact that people were trying to correct me and, and say like, you know, this is wrong and that's wrong and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but now uh, I'm very thankful of the fact that I've actually taken the time to understand like the, the almost like the new world order is what we're in which is like understanding um different gender identities and and sexualities that don't just go to gay and lesbian you know that, that they go on through all these different uh letters and and representations and one of my problems there was that i initially was quite irritated when people were trying to correct me because i thought oh stupid young people trying to teach me these things and now i'm realizing it's it's time for me to learn again like i have to understand and I'm super appreciative, Ellie, as you brought the point up that you do have the, um, you, you know, you're you're quite happy to step forward and say those kind of things, because it, while someone like myself is now quite happy to learn, there are people out there that aren't, and it might give them pause and make them think maybe maybe I do need to re rethink the way I talk or, or whatever. So I appreciate that. Like I just want to say it's it's cool. Thanks. I mean, I, I feel like I definitely don't speak up as much as I should, but I feel like, you know, we're all friends and I very much appreciate that you've taken the like character development because it does take time. Yeah. Like being corrected on stuff, like the natural reaction is to be like defensive and be like, what are you, are you saying I'm a bad person? Cause I used a bad word. I'm not a bad person. Therefore you're wrong. And like, exactly it, that. Uh, it it came through the whole thing that like obviously there's a lot of uh, transgender issues in the news now as well, and I didn't realise that some of my older views that I've now corrected because I've had time to think about them and understand them. I didn't realise that some of my older views may have come across as kind of transphobic, and it was just because I didn't understand uh, what I was talking about, and I thought that me saying uh, a, a perfect example and to, to to make this a little bit easier to to kind of speak about is the whole Black Lives Matter movement. And initially, in my brain, my first reaction to it was, well, all lives matter. And it took me some time to understand that that was actually counter to what was going on. Because while that is true, it's the idea that, well, not the idea, it's the actual the, the, the point that at, that at this time, black lives are the things that matter. Because, you know, yes. using the example of the house on fire or the house that isn't on fire, currently the house on fire is, is the one that's having the problem. That needs the attention. And it took me some time to to understand that learning. And I, I wouldn't say that I'm a, a, a racist or an angry person or someone that is unwilling to learn. It just sometimes does take time for you to accept that, you know, you might be wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. sorry to segue on that. Like, it's just it's, it's a, something that's quite close to me. So I, I feel it's important to, especially for people my age, to understand that you can still learn and you can change and you can grow. And it's a good yeah. thing. It's a really important reflection, honestly. And like, I feel like, you know, I don't know what the next 
thing is going to be, but I feel like in, in 10 years, there's probably going to be something that I don't understand. That I be. might be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I remember a point as well, like when a friend of mine came out as a furry, I had no idea what it was. And the only references I had on the internet were, were references of ridicule. Um, mm. So I learned about that from a kind of a, a silly point of view. Um, and, and that friend needed my support. And I don't think I gave the support in the right way because I, was, I started to make jokes about it and made it to be funny. And while even now I, I don't fully understand the the, the the concept, I understand what it is that he yeah, is what what he's saying to me. So he's saying like I'm a furry and this is my you know lifestyle choice. And I'm like, well, that's great. Like I want to support you. Whereas yeah. when he told me ten years ago, I was like, ha ha ha, and here's a load of jokes about it. You know, he yeah. wasn't asking for jokes; he was asking for support. And I yeah. think that that's super important that we do as people uh, understand that people are reaching out to us and they're not looking to get ridiculed. They're looking to get understood. Yeah. 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 Would you, would I, you agree? Yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, I'm even, you know, I'm not like 10 years ago, but, you know, maybe even only like five or six years ago, I was probably this kind of person who, like you were mentioning, you know, being quite defensive when someone's being like you can't say that or you know it's not okay for for you to you know say these words or have this kind of viewpoint and i would be quite defensive be like well i'm not hurting anyone by saying yeah that, for example right? yeah, yeah and it's kind of you know like like you like over the years as you learn and you talk to people and you're trying to come from a place of understanding that you have to change and be like yeah that's not okay actually you know and and that's fine like being being able to change that way of thinking i think is quite important and it's like an important trait for people to have have that open-mindedness and that coming from a place of understanding rather than a place of being like you're taking away my you know ability to say this word blah 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 sort of thing right? it's, it's yeah. also as well you're so, also approaching a place of exhaustion because the people that are telling you this stuff are probably exhausted constantly explaining and defending their their choices their their sexuality their gender blah 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 um and it is super important to understand that it's not their um it's not their responsibility to make you understand what they are. It's your responsibility to be open and understand these things. Yeah. So it's natural that people are super exhausted. Uh, so I'm, I'm very well aware that I'm talking a lot right now. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's a good topic. Like, yeah, you're saying good things. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. It's also, like, it's very important that everyone should be given that opportunity for growth. Because, mm. like, like, I was definitely a dumb kid on the internet that, like, said and posted some stuff that i would very much not these days yeah. uh but because of the way the internet works there is actually sort of a very distant but it's still there permanent record of dumb shit i did on the internet when i didn't know any better mm. and like <laughs> uh the so you know what i don't know how much of a straw man this is but like cancel culture uh, and the idea that stuff that you said 10 years ago can come back to bite you as if you said it yesterday is pretty troubling. And like, yes, you should, be held to, you should be held to account for your past actions, but you should also be able to be like, yeah, but I've moved and grown past this. And if you look at everything I've said in like the past five years, you'll see that I no longer think or believe those things. And like yeah. everyone should be given that leeway for growth. Well, th so there's a good uh, example here. Like, so I I'm going to, bring the terrible person up but donald trump um uh -huh. he he's quite commonly using he uses parts of cancel culture to attack people and yet we all know what he said just before he got elected about women uh, i'm not going to repeat it because i think it's a disgusting statement but um he seems to not understand that he did something absolutely diabolical and he uses that same weapon against everyone else that tries to attack him uh, which is why I think cancel culture is one of those things where we do need to be held responsible for our and actions and held accountable, uh, but we need to be given the opportunity to talk about them as well and say like, okay, so I was 17 when I said this and now I'm 36, 37. Um, the world has changed. I've learned. I've grown. I can understand that what I said was inappropriate and it doesn't represent me as a person anymore. But if you would stand up and say what I said 10 years ago, I still fully agree with, then you have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, to the reason, like, I take this with a grain of salt and say I might be presenting a straw man because, like, I don't keep up directly with everything happening on the internet. And, you know, possibly the cancel culture big stick is only being used against people who don't change and have, like, historic uh, incidences of things they've done which are problematic and not acceptable. But, like, 
you know, there's there's always the fear that it's it could be used against someone who genuinely hasn't done anything wrong in recent times and has learned from their actions. Yeah, it's a fear of mine. Um, I mean, working in the industry as well, like we have to be aware that we are quite public people and um, our social media accounts, for example, people can link them to our jobs and they can find out more about us and they can dig deep into our past and find out things, which is why um, quite a few years ago, in fact, I created a series of bots that clean all of my social accounts every month. So not not that I'm ashamed of what I'm saying or anything like that. It's just I know that as the world moves forward and things change, there are things that I could have said five years ago that would have been completely innocent then but probably haven't moved forward quite well. Plus, I've grown as a person. I want to make sure that while I'm growing, I'm not leaving this kind of muddy trail behind me, if yeah. that makes sense. No, I get that. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. Um, it's just, I'm also aware that it's. I have to be careful um, where, where I stand as well because, you know, working for a big company, you have to be understanding of what you're saying. Um, but no, it's, it's a super in interesting discussion talking about um, gatekeeping and toxicity and how people kind of um, like hold on to their, their community in each game. Like, I, I don't think I can remember a game that's had an online function um, where I've not come across a certain element of people that seem to be like the literal gatekeepers of that game. Mm. Um, so it's it's a it's a very valid point, and it's something we I could probably talk about for days and days. And I'm I'm super happy that Ellie, you've joined us to talk about that as well today, because I can imagine it's quite an exhausting subject. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, I've actually dodged a whole bunch of it because my my jam is largely playing single player story games. So I'm actually quite new to online gaming, uh, the whole league thing, and like having friends who are also as online as I am to play games with. Like I I dabbled in, uh online communities but they weren't really the same thing mm. <laughs> you know well, I, I, I was more i would assume things like like you've probably been through tumblr and that kind of thing oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was a hardcore tumblr kid <laughs> and i switched to twitter because my attention span shortened ever more i come from the mindspace generation <laughs> my first friend I was tom <laughs> i i think i used myspace for about a week and then suddenly everyone was like have you heard of facebook and i remember when facebook <laughs> appeared and we suddenly had this like super global community and it was weird when it first came out of nowhere because we didn't know what it was or what to do with it so we were sort of like posting stuff and then like is this for facebook or is this something we should be not posting and that's sort of how social media kind of erupted because no one really knew what was going on <laughs> yeah it's a yeah. it's a strange old world um I get so. Uh, I mean, just to move the conversation forward, I'm looking at the the points we've got, and we're talking about casual and hardcore. Um, mm -hmm. That to me, so this was um, more talking about the audiences of games. So you've got games that appeal to casual players, and you've got games that appeal to hardcore players. And there are some games where casual and hardcore can kind of intermingle together. Yep. Um, and I'm sort of feeling that as time moves forward, we are looking at games now that kind of open that cone a little bit to allow people in. Um, and it, it, so the the, re the reason I brought the point up is because it does move on from gatekeeping where games were kind of locked out from certain audiences and now we're trying to open those audiences. So things like Dark Souls is a really good example here where initially they were very uh, niche games that only appealed to a very certain, a very specific community. But now that community has opened up into this massive global thing because it's a huge hit and obviously it's mm. a mega franchise. Um, I don't know if you guys have any examples or things to talk about on the casual and hardcore audiences. See, the reason I wanted to talk about this is because I find it kind of weird as a way of segmenting games. Because, like, how would you define casual and hardcore? Uh, would you would you define them as playstyles or as games? Would you say that Candy Crush is a casual game and heart and Dark Souls is a hardcore game? When in fact, you know, Dark Souls is characterized by having tasks that you have to do many many times in order to master complete. Candy Crush actually mm. levels which you have to do many many times in order to master and complete. <clears throat> I mean sure it's more RNG based and like skill based as Dark Souls is but there's still like an element anyone who's talked to like a hardcore match 3 player they have, there's skill there's knowledge there's strategies <laughs> um, mm. and you know there are definitely people who are very hardcore players of casual games. Uh, I, it's a podcast so you can't see me do air quotes but uh, <laughs> I, I felt the air quotes then. I knew you were doing air quotes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Just> sense them. <laughs> mm. Powerful. 
transmitting air quotes. That's a, that's a super good point, though, because uh, it's, it's very easy to, to be throwaway when it comes to mobile games versus console and PC games and say, like, um, you know, casual mobile games are trash compared to hardcore mobile. And this, uh, as someone that's been in a hardcore audience for a long time, that language kind of comes out of that audience. Um, yeah. And it's the comparative nature of saying, like, I won't play a mobile game because I play hardcore games. And now that I've had the chance to kind of understand the mobile industry a lot more, I'm like, well, there's hardcore elements to these as well. And like you said, like that there are parts of the games where you, you have to keep learning repetitive tasks or learning uh, strategy and things to kind of get better and better and better. And those exist in Dark Souls as they do in Candy Crush, mm. which is a super cool observation. Like Again, every time I talk about this kind of stuff with people, I learn a little bit more about it. Mm. Uh, it's, it's super interesting. Um, but I tend to... Thing... Uh, carry on, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. The other thing I don't like is the implication that like, Casual gamers, air quotes again, aren't real gamers. Oh, I uh, hate that. Yeah, <laughs> I've got past so that. much, but yeah. Sorry, go on. Yeah, which kind of loops back into gatekeeping. Like, you're only a gamer if you play these kinds of games that I also <laughs> like because I'm a gamer and these yeah. are the games that I like. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's oddly circular, isn't it? Because um, yeah. gatekeepers kind of fall into. Uh, the, the casual hardcore audience as well well yeah. more the hardcore I, I would say gatekeepers tend to be in the hardcore side of things if we're to yeah. go with the, the traditional definition of casual and hardcore but my definition yeah. of it now is more casual are things that you can pick up and play for 30 minutes or 20 minutes and not have a negative impact on the game by dropping it at that point and hardcore is something that you need to sit down for a couple of hours for each session to really get somewhere that's my definition of it um I don't know how much that kind of reflects to what other people see as casual and hardcore, but that's how I see it. I think that's yeah, a more I'd, fairer representation as well. I'd say that's kind of, yeah, what the industry would sort of separate those games as, because traditionally we use, in the industry, we use, or at least in mobile, we have like casual, mid-core, and then hardcore, yep. I guess you would have. And, and hyper-casual. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, now there's this hyper-casual <laughs> brand as well where... It's even, you know, it's even less time investment. I guess you would. I guess it's kind of, yeah, like a time investment, maybe like, and also combined with like maybe um, decision space. I guess in terms of like how many decisions a player has to make, yeah, or maybe like the, uh, you know, does it factor in reaction time and stuff like that, you know. And then um, you've, you've also got those like AFK uh, clicker games as well. Like they're still games. Oh, People yeah, still yeah, love yeah. them and they get the enjoyment out of them as games, but they're just super casual. Yeah. you're not really playing them you're just watching them play but you still enjoy it's still a, a form of entertainment mm. i think i was gonna sorry oh no no i was gonna say like but i think the important thing is here is even though that we like distinguish these games by like you know casual midcore, hardcore like what ellie was saying like is that you can have these people who play these ca- you know in air quotes casual games in very like what you would specify as hardcore ways you know these people who get really 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 deep into these games and really break down these these you know what you would seem as like you know very casual very small games into like these like i i I mean i find that fascinating when you when you find someone who you know you look at a game and you think oh this is like really surface level boring or whatever but then you see someone who's like gone down into like you know even counting frames or somehow like manipulating rng or you know doing that in these like casual games i think it's like fascinating i think it's awesome like so. Mm. Mm. I met a Candy Crush player on the tube once and they were just like starting a level and then like quitting it and starting it and quitting it and I was like yo I'm, I'm really sorry what are you doing mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and turns out they were waiting they had a certain kind of booster and they were just waiting for the right RNG spawn that if they used that booster it would clear like basically the entire board and that level will be really easy to win <laughs> yeah and um, because there was something like i guess for some reason you didn't lose lives if you just quit it without making any moves mm. so that was that was what they were doing well, I, th- I think i discovered a similar thing actually again talking about candy crush which is odd because it's the mm. you know the game that we've all related to in some way um I didn't really understand the the concept of Candy Crush when I first started working on the the other games, and mm. through you know through um, downloading them and playing them and trying to work out more, I realised that there are these little elements of strategy that make the game feel a lot more fun, a lot more impactful, and it changed my opinion of like because initially when someone told me about uh, these casual games, I was like casual. I'm a hardcore gamer. I play World of Warcraft, and I, I wouldn't even give the time of day. 
to to look at these titles and now more than anything i'm browsing the the mobile game store to find casual uh midcore and hardcore games that uh appeal to me because i know that there's this space now for me to not feel ashamed about the fact that i enjoy casual gaming i enjoy hardcore gaming and i enjoy all these different parts of it because that's yeah. what i like it's yeah. it's hard to get to that space i think it's hard to get to that mind space and, and understand that you're just trying to entertain yourself <laughs> yeah i i, I yeah. think that's a yeah just you shouldn't feel ashamed because of the games you play or like likewise you shouldn't shame someone for the games that they play you know like if no. someone's going to come up to me and be like oh you know i i only play candy crush or you know someone's going to come up to me equivalently if someone comes up to me and goes like i only play dark souls i'm not going to be like well you're a scrub because you only play dark souls and you should play candy crush as equivalently i'm not going to go to a candy crush player and be like you're a casual gamer because you just play candy crush you should play real video games like i think everyone should be happy to just play what they want you know, it's, it's like i think it. it was ellie that mentioned it like um you enjoy what was it you enjoy what you play or you enjoy what you do this is something you said to me um quite a while ago when when we when we worked alongside each other you said you enjoy what you play and 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 it kind of made me think that is a very good point because i think i was talking about like hearthstone or something at the time it may not have been you ellie but my my brain has not been working fully since uh what happened in january <laughs> so it's a bit of a brain soup right now uh, and obviously covid has kind of really added to the fact that i've just been sitting at my computer at home all day every day so this may not have been you that quoted that, but I'm, I'm sure it was a conversation we had. Um, but being conscious of time, because we've got uh, eight minutes left, uh, the last point that we had to talk about was Discord's rebrand away from gaming. And this may sound like a very specific subject, but it's more about the idea that um, as we came through the lockdown and companies started to change their approach to, and they started to pivot, uh, Discord have obviously created this... Um, this environment which is very much aimed at gamers and they've realized that much like how zoom kind of exploded they've got this platform where people can video conference they can chat and they can do all this kind of interaction and it's not just for gamers anymore it's more for like a, a global audience and and i think discord have probably realized that there is a big opportunity for them to kind of rise up and be mm. what messenger keeps trying to be and what skype keeps trying to be because I, I think skype has always had this kind of like want to be the the greatest uh, chat program, but people are always like, yeah, but I'm going to use FaceTime instead, or I'm going to use this, or I'm going to use that, or WhatsApp has always been the other one that people seem to like. And I just found it a really interesting thing to talk about uh, because their rebrand away from gaming is a good representation of how a lot of companies are probably pivoting right now. I don't know if you guys have examples or things that you've noticed along a similar light. Dead silence. <laughs> no, no, no. I was, I was, if, I was, I was just seeing if, if Ellie had anything to... Well, so. I mean, it seems like a very obvious move to make. Like, if you have a platform that's very good at a thing and you have a global situation going on which needs that thing, yeah, open up your product to as many people as possible because it's, it's going to be good. And, mm. like, I, I don't think Discord loses anything by no longer being solely the preserved gamers. It's just, like, it's a platform. It's not, yeah. you know, and every it's like a hosting platform as well. Like everything's in its own bubble anyway. It's not diluting any kind of community. You're just adding more communities on. Yeah. And you know, it's just a a good space. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Sorry, it's interesting to mention Skype because, like, for me, Skype is the definitive video calling software, <laughs> but no one uses it anymore. Mm. It's, like, be it's because it's so, um, like, interruptive. Like it insists on loading with your system, constantly pops up, and it's just so filled with like little pop-ups and all this kind of random stuff. So to me, while the tech is good, the the UX is awful for Skype, and it's where WhatsApp kind of offers the exact opposite because WhatsApp is three buttons and you don't really get any pop-ups or anything. You just get what you click on. Mm -hmm. uh, so that that's my understanding of why Skype has never really hit the mark. It's always been yeah. there, but it's always been the backup. Yeah, it's just fascinating how like it feels like it's been the incumbent for so long, and yet it's dropped the ball so badly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just failed to get the UX that obviously everyone really wants. Well, that, that's another yeah. thing in big in big corporations and kind of larger companies where they have these products that kind of become uh, global successes, and it's not necessarily because they're the best product; it's just because they're the one. Like you can use the VHS and Betamax example. Yeah. Betamax just, was yeah. the better product. <laughs> But VHS got um, more impact because more people bought it. Mm. And yeah, didn't 
Didn't they have a better exclusivity deal so that there were more things on VHS and that's why people used it? It was part of it, yeah. You're, you're right. There's a lot of kind of backstory to the to, to that specific point. Um, but the, the whole point there was is is that I had Betamax tapes and I was like, this is this is the standard. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> I also thought Laserdisc was going to be popular and I was very wrong there because <laughs> Laserdisc was not. Do you know, do you know Laserdiscs? Yeah. Th- these are like... They're like LP size CDs, so like probably seven, eight inches across. Mm. Like massive things they were, that they were Goliath, and, and they were effectively just large DVDs in effect. And I thought they were going to be massive. I never thought of the idea of layering a CD to make a DVD. Mm. I thought the only possibility was just to get bigger discs to the point where <laughs> if that was going to keep going now, we'd be like, I'm just going to put a game on. Can we get six people to lift the disc and put it over? <laughs> Because that's where that technology was going. <laughs> like, I, like, I, I, I believe that was what it was going to be. It just shows yeah. you how the future changes and stuff and how um, technology evolves. Hmm. Uh, yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah someone, go ahead. As someone with a background in manufacturing engineering, uh, these stories are especially interesting. Hmm. You know, just like, the just generally innovate or die. Yeah, yes. And like, yes. you know, well, it, but also, also like just having the superior product isn't enough. You've got to have the severe product in the right place at the right time with the right yeah. marketing. Well, that's yeah. that's the whole thing. Is I remember when the internet um, came about, and my uh, my mum at the time was uh, managing the Coventry Evening Telegraph, and they they pulled all of the people together into this room where everyone was smoking and stuff because it was still okay to smoke in the office. And I was just a kid doing like promotions work for them, so I'd be giving out papers and stuff on the street. And I remember they pulled us all into this office together, and the, and the manager at the time said, um, "So there's this thing called the internet," and he explained a little bit about what it was, and it was like the old, super old world of the internet. And he said, don't worry about it. It's going to be a fad. It's going to be gone in six months' time. Uh, Newspapers, because of their physical nature, will exist forever um, and we'll never lose money. We'll always be fine. So don't worry about it. We're not going to react to it. We're just going to ignore it. But if you hear about it, maybe don't talk about it in the street and stuff because we don't want people hyping up the internet. That was the world at the time. And that was the belief that the internet was going to be no impact. Me as a kid, I saw the internet and I was like, you are so wrong. You have no idea what this thing is about to do to the world. And watching like newspapers fall and the internet rise was quite terrifying because you, you got to see this. Um, obviously, the internet is the superior product here, but you got to see this superior product go for all these iterations because we had this thing called CFAX, which was terrible. Mm. Uh, you might remember CFAX and bamboozle yeah. and that kind of thing. We saw that and we were like, okay, this is the height of it now. And then it got better and then it got better and better and better and better. And now we're at the point where the internet is this... It's just, it's indescribable what it is now Yeah, compared to what it was back then. And it, it does make me laugh to think that people all around the world thought that it wasn't going to be uh, a smash hit Yeah, when it actually is. I mean, we're using it right now to yes. record this podcast. <laughs> well, it, it was the reason we got the tech together to record this podcast because initially we were going to do it in person and then we got to lockdown where all of a sudden we've all got a lot of free time. And I thought, okay, so how do we record on the internet? And we, we met a few tech challenges in that, solved them, and now here we are making a podcast. Like it's it's yeah. great. It's such a great thing. Yeah. But I guess it's the kind of thing that's sort of hard to predict if you don't have any mental model for what it might look like. Like, you know, if you explain to someone from 100 years ago, like, okay, so there's going to be this thing, and it will connect everyone, and there'll be, like, the content of a thousand million libraries on it, and you'll just be able to do and look at things instantly and there's going to be like video and pictures and like interactivity and just like nah yeah no there's no there's nah. not you you're yeah. you're mad they'll ask you what's a video yeah <laughs> well yeah <laughs> well, if you think about it the, the comparison that we had at the time was star trek and they had the tricorders and stuff where you could scan something and suddenly you had all the information of whatever it was and we saw that technology as future technology, but it was we didn't realize that it was coming into the world at that point. Mm. Obviously, in a very different format. It wasn't magic, but because uh, you know Star Trek was filled with magic science. Um, but a lot of the stuff that we saw in Star Trek and some of the stuff we saw in Star Wars as well has actually made it across the the fantasy barrier into reality. We just need lightsabers, please. Can we get lightsabers? <laughs> we just need them. I just want one. I just want one, a little one, just to cut bread I'm with. Not- yeah. <laughs> yeah, like the one the one from um uh, Hitchhiker's Hitchhiker Guide. Guide. Yeah, 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 that's it. Yeah, yeah, to toast the bread as you can't slice it. Just want a little one. That's all I want. Um 
but yeah so um uh, to, to kind of close up ellie thank you so much for your time today and thank you for giving us your insights into uh the world of uh gaming from from you know from your point of view um it's been super fascinating to to chat and you're of course always welcome back whenever you want to come and join us again that would be great i had a lot of fun thank All you right. for having me i hear it yeah. Um, so yeah this has been uh, the Sunfire Tavern episode 4 uh, you can follow us on uh, at Sunfire Tavern on Twitter or at Sunfire Tavern on Instagram uh, we're uploading on Spotify, SoundCloud and now iTunes and um, yeah uh, thank you for listening and I hope you all had a great time any final words from you guys? Uh, thanks for listening everyone uh, <laughs> hopefully see you next week um, yeah I guess Clark already took 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 everything about the, the socials but yeah um, thanks for listening once again yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, if you want to look at my socials, I'm at Lapsansu, L-A-P-S-A-N-S-O-U on Twitter and Instagram if you like doodles and pictures of cake. <laughs> I'm glad you said that because that was about to be my next thing. Like, how can we yeah. follow you on social, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, thank you I do you have again. a professional account as well, but I'm not a professional, so I don't use it. So. <laughs> how professional of you. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much, guys, and uh, have a good week. Take care. See ya. Bye. See ya.